Yes, sir. Welcome back to another episode of Monkey Post. And, uh, you know, as usual, it's been a while. But I promise you this time it wasn't because I was lazy. I promise you. I promise you. I actually had a lot of things going on. You know, a lot. But I had, like, I was busy for a while. I had an exam to write and read for. It was, like, kind of rushed. So, you know, I focused on the exam and reading and passing because it was you know, a lot of money so yeah and uh, but now I'm done and I'm back and um, I hope it doesn't take me something like like this same amount of time to release another episode but yeah I'm back and um, this is going to be a, a bit longer than usual yeah it is so bear with me because I don't want to put out two episodes so I'm just going to you know try and squeeze everything into one episode and just slightly bump the time up yeah but um since i've been here last a lot of things have happened in like sporting world and um aside from basketball you know and the nba season is over i mean it's almost about to start again summer league is next month and next month is a couple of days you know the draft happened last night yeah last night and you know the nba finals ended a couple of days ago about a week and a half ago or so but about a week ago, give or take. But anyways, anyways, anyways. Uh, you know, my boys, my boys, my boys won. I told you they were going to win. I told you that my boys were going to get their fourth ring. I told you. Anybody that told you otherwise was playing around with you. If Curry didn't win his fourth ring, who would, who was going to win it? Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Bro, no, 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 and no, no, and no. But anyways, yeah, you know, Golden State won, beat the Boston Celtics in six games. That's four games to two games. And um, Curry had himself a finals, bro. He had himself a big-ass final. Like, he played some exceptional basketball. And this thing about Curry that I've noticed, yeah, since the 2015-2016 season and 2016-2017 season, you know, Curry has this thing where he can, in, in an entire season, like the stretch of the season, from the beginning of the season to the end of playoffs, wherever they get to, you know, he has this thing where he goes on a run, yeah? And then he might have a little drop-off, but then after that drop-off, you know that he's coming back hot. But it's a thing that happened this season. He started off hot. He was an MVP conversation. Remember that, you know, he was an MVP candidate last year. The reason why I feel he didn't win it or did not get as much votes was because Golden State didn't make the playoffs and it's almost impossible for you to get win the MVP if your team doesn't make the playoffs so anyways he started the season hot like scorching hot he was leaving the MVP race for the first three months then he fell off then he had an injury and like the, the team generally was just being like they were being they were very consistent and constant injuries Clay was coming back Curry got injured Dreamer got injured Jordan Poole was still getting into his like fluid into his like rhythm for the team and everything but like because the dip in Curry's form went on for so long I knew that he was going to have it like when he finally came back I knew that something was going to pop and then he had another injury to end the season ironically it was Marcus Smart that injured him you know the defensive player of the year that they said is a Curry stopper that they said how is Curry going to handle Marcus Smart's defense yeah Kind of, he injured in, in their last meeting of the season, it was towards the end of the season. And then after that, it was like, um, yeah, it was 
he was out for the rest of the season, the regular season, and then he came back in like game one of the first round against Denver. He came off the bench, which he doesn't do because I mean, one of the greatest players of all time, you don't bench him. And then he came off the bench in the first game because he was still getting his flow. He had a very average game, probably even subpar by his standards, but then, you know, you could tell that he was just getting back his feel for the game. And then he came to, in game two, he came off the bench again and uh, he went off. He went for like 30 points in 20 something minutes or 19. Like, it wasn't a lot of minutes and it was a lot of points. Like, people were, like, I was scared for them, for Denver, you know. But yeah, that happened and, you know, it was, uh, it was after that he st- started the rest of the playoffs and then he had a, he had a beautiful playoffs. He played well against Denver. He played even better against those Grizzlies boys. He played fantastic against, um, what's the name of this group? Against Dallas. And then in the finals, this is what happened. Because there was so, see, if you asked me entering the playoffs, who I was scared of in the entire playoffs of being the biggest threat to the, to the Warriors, it would have been the Celtics. Let me tell you why. Because every other team in the playoffs, because like people, know, people have forgotten that if you put Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green on a team, the probability of that team winning a ring is very high. I don't care who else you are, who else you have on the court. The probability of that team, that core, winning a ring is very high. And we haven't seen them in a long time. So people have forgotten. But the Celtics was just a beautiful matchup. They have Marcus Smart, great defensive guard. They have Jalen Brown, great wing that can defend and score. Jason Tatum is 6'10". He can score. He's one of the top 10 players in the league. Robert Williams is a shot. Like, they have the squad to match up Golden State's offense. That's, you know, movement-heavy offense. That screen offense where we, you know, that pick and, um, post-pick-and-roll action that we run. You know, I was worried, but I never thought that they were going to beat us. So when got the time finals came and then people were like, oh, the Warriors should be worried. Oh, the Warriors should be scared. I'm like, what? Are you people seeing? What I'm, have you people forgotten what my boys are capable of? And it might seem like, you know, I was just being, you know, you know, because they are my boys. But no, if you if you looked at it from a totally unbiased standpoint and you did not still think that the Warriors were going to win that, I don't know what to tell you. But anyways, you know, game one came, Curry had like a, he dropped like 20 something points in the first quarter alone and then he ended up with like 31 points or 32 points, given thereabouts. But we lost the first game and the second game came and Curry popped off. He went off for like 34 points, they won, Golden State won the second game. And then after the first game, there was so much noise of, oh, Golden State lost the first game, they have lost the advantage. I'm like, bruh. They won one game away. We can win a game away and even the series out because, like, because of the whole away and home, you know, thing, you know, people always seem to make a big deal about it, which they should. But I mean, it's just one game. It's the first game of the of seven-game series, bro. Relax. People made so much noise about it and how Curry played well and they still lost. The hard they going to win. Every other person needs to step up, which was true. Clay Thompson played shit. Forgive my French. Draymond Green played absolute rubbish until like game five. Yeah, that was when he stepped up. But anyways, we won game two, went back to Boston. Boston fans were loud and they were rude. They said Curry's wife couldn't cook and um, mind you, she's a chef. Like with a big ass restaurant where 
many people go to eat celebrities go to eat and stuff like that and they said she couldn't cook and like that was wild because they also won that game where they said she couldn't cook and then game four came and <laughs> so like after you don't when, when you see some people like some people make so much noise and then some people can't back it up some people can't back it up but when you see someone that you know can back it up but still doesn't make so much noise you don't piss people like that off but boston said nope we're big boys we can't do this and then they went on and they pissed off the greatest shooter to ever play basketball like literally nobody has touched a basketball that is a better shooter than steph curry i don't care who you are what era of the world you lived in you are not better than steph curry at shooting a basketball and then they went off to piss him off and then they were they were saying so much trash in the stadium they were talking a lot of trash the fans then after that the whole aisha curry can cook i knew that game four something was going to pop off and something popped off because curry went off for 43. he scored 43 points on the best defense in the nba yeah 43 points on the defensive player of the year and the best defense in the nba 43 points off shooting three points, he shot like seven three pointers that day. It was crazy, and I am saying crazy because I don't want to say like it was crazy and crazy. But anyways, you know that happened. The series was even two two, and then it was back to Golden State. And then in Game Five, Curry struggled. He didn't hit it. one three pointer, and then out of some magic, we still won that game because that was the game that Draymond Green, you know, played well. Andrew Wiggins, ah. Oh, God, I watched that game and I was, I've never been so, I've never been more in love with Andrew Wiggins in my life than I was in love with him in game five. He was attacking the basket, he was making timely buckets, he was playing fantastic defense. And see, if he keeps up this level of defense, if Andrew Wiggins isn't in in an all-defensive NBA team next season, then something is going on because that boy is a defensive beast. Anyways, he played fantastic in that game five. You know, everybody played well except maybe even Corey had a decent game. He had like 18 points, um, eight assists and nine rebounds, something like that. Almost a triple-double, Seth, just that he didn't shoot well because he didn't make a three-pointer. And then, remember what I said about when Corey has a bad game or a bad stretch of games, you know that when he starts popping off, he's going to pop off. And what did he do? Like, which is why I wasn't really worried about game six because Corey didn't play well in game five. And I knew that game six, Draymond was going to play better than he played in game five, and he played okay in game five. And we all know the legend of game six, Clay. Then add that Wiggins coming off that good ass game, playing good defense, game six, Clay, and Curry that just shot zero of seven. I knew we weren't going to lose game six. I mean, I was a bit worried, but come on. And what did he do? He probably had one of the coldest, the coldest closeout games I've ever seen. My boy scored 34 points or something like that, but it's even more than the points that he scored. When he was hitting those threes, contested, two people in his, it didn't matter, he was just hitting threes. Then he hit one timely three where it became clear that, you know what, this game is over, the series is over, just give them their rings. And what did Steph Curry do? He tore a page out of Aaron Donald. I don't know if you if you know, if you watch the NFL, you probably know what Aaron Donald is. They, he plays for the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, and then they won Super Bowl, you know, the last Super Bowl. And when he made a tiny defensive play against Tom Brady, no, against Joe Burrow, he did. He pointed to his ring finger and told them to give him, give him, in his words, not mine, his fucking ring. And what did Curry do? He hit a shot and told, and the, mind you, this game wasn't in Golden State's home. It was in Boston. 
So he looked around to those people that were talking a lot of trash and told them to give him his fucking ring. And he pointed at his ring finger and that was, I don't, man, you need to see to understand the level of cold that it was. Like it was cold. And it wasn't a, it was a deep three coming off transition and anybody that watches or plays basketball knows that when you're coming down in the, cl- in the clutch like that closing time of a game you try to set up offense you try to like get a good shot you know try and get an easy basket you don't just come down after a rebound and then you just shoot it but i mean curry is different and draymond just threw that ball into space and curry just stepped into space and shot it and after i went in my body just turned around and pointed to his finger and said give me my fucking ring and like i'm like no this boy is cold and yeah you know four rings a lot of celebration a lot of trash talking but regardless my boys i'm proud of them i'm very happy for them and boston played a very great series people were eating jason tatum because you know he didn't play so great i mean he didn't play as well as we know he can but it's his first finals and people always try to put that mantle of oh he's kobe oh you know he's kobe's reincarnate and stuff like not he's kobe but like he's kobe's student but like people need to calm down he's still jason tatum yes he has a couple of moves that are you know similar to kobe but like he's still jason tatum you should calm down he's young he's 24 it's his first finals he will get i feel like he's still going to get back to a lot more finals have a lot more opportunities to play better and people forget that without him the, this boston celtics team would not be anything without jason tatum so you know people need to cut him some slack Jalen brown played okay he played great actually he was their best player in the series you know they just i feel like the boston celtics are one piece away from really winning and that one piece is a point guard that can run the offense and play off the ball that, that can run an offense and as well be off the ball and shoot the ball because marcus smart is good but he's not he's not he doesn't know how to run an offense consistently and when you run an offense through people like Jalen brown and jason tatum you know the probability of turnovers are kind of high because they are score first wings not pass first point guards but anyways yeah um i'm very happy for boston even happier for my boys fourth ring and next season we're coming back even stronger you know and um yeah that's the summary of how that went i would do you know in consecutive episodes i would talk you know with a bit more insight into some other things that i couldn't talk about now because of time but leaving the basketball scene and going to football yeah the transfer window is open and if you have heard and if you haven't heard some big names have been you know moving first and foremost erin harland left dortmund and went to man city which we all knew was going to happen and then right on cue liverpool you know got darren nunez and they sold sadio mane to Bayern, yeah, that's a good move for both Mane and Bayern, and it's a, like all three moves I mentioned are fantastic moves. Um, I don't think Nunez is going to be a flop, just because if Klopp is ready to spend so much money on anybody, I trust that person, because people forget that Klopp took Liverpool from man. If you, I'm not a Liverpool fan. I don't really like Liverpool, but I played FM. I've been playing FM for a while. And that Liverpool team that Klopp took over was shit. Their best player was Coutinho. After Coutinho was about, it was like Firmino and Henderson and not this Henderson, Henderson before he became this and like Joe Allen. And their defense was Martin, a 36 year old or 35 year old Martin Skirtle, Mohamed Sako, 
Dea Lovren, Minoli was their keeper. They had Nathaniel Klein, Alberto Moreno. Like their team was very uh, very average at best. And then he took that team and turned it to what it is now. So anybody that club spends money on, I trust him. And he hasn't had a bad, a bad transfer move since he got there. He really hasn't. Even people that didn't really do well, like maybe a Shakiri, for example. Shakiri had his moments in Liverpool. Wasn't good enough to start regularly, but he had his moments. Even people like Alex Oxley, Chamberlain that are almost always injured have had their moments. Let's not talk about Divokorigi. Like he hasn't made a bad move since he got there, although he met Divokorigi there, but that's regardless. So yeah, all good, you know, all good deals. But let's talk about people that are, you know, not exactly contending to win or want to contend but are not going to contend for that Premier League title. Um um oh my god lukaku my boy lukaku my boy and um look don't get me wrong i like lukaku i really like lukaku i like a big man that can that he's that you know he's physical he's strong and then he can also what's the word you know he's he has a bit of pace to him as well i like i like people like that but like lukaku 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 everybody okay maybe not everybody but i knew and many people knew that Lukaku coming back to Chelsea wasn't the best move for either of them, for Chelsea or for Lukaku. Especially for that price, it was abs- like it's giving me Man U Pogba vibes. Just that at least Pogba stayed the entire contract here. Lukaku is given after one season. It's crazy because like I mean we've seen Lukaku in the Premier League. It's not like he's a terrible striker, but Lukaku is not the striker that would strike for your team and you think your team is going to win the Premier League title. That's not that's not who Lukaku is. Not, not in the definitely not in the Premier League. Not with the kind of football that what's his name, Thomas Tuchel. Not, not with that football. Never, never with that. Fo- never with that football. We've seen him play for West Brom when he was a lot younger. So let's even scrap that those West Brom days. We saw him play for Everton. We knew his weaknesses when he was playing for Everton. Then Manu in their you know usual ways went and got Lukaku as well for big money, mind you. And then. He was he scored like 18, 15 goals that season. You know, was he can give you like 15, 18 goals a season, maybe 20. But like you know what you're getting with Lukaku. You know the kind, you know, you know, you see, you're even making me stammer like Chelsea. What's going on? You know what you are getting with big wrong. Why did they think that was going to work? Why? Why did they not that kind of football? He has played his best football at Inter Milan. And at Inter Milan, what do they play? They play that counter-attacking kind of football where Romelu Lukaku has the space to run. Lukaku doesn't do well in tight spaces because his first touch is not magnificent. He doesn't know how to corral that ball into his big body and turn and make a sexy pass. He can't do that in tight spaces when you're on the attack, when you're pressuring, pressing, pressing at like at the top. He doesn't know how to do that consistently. Lukaku is best in the open field of play when he's running at his defender, when you're making defenders chase big rum and try to body him off the ball as they're chasing him with speed. That is his best attribute. So why would you take him away from what you can see him do? Like, did you see him and Lutaro Martinez? That was beautiful football that they were playing. Sexy football. Sexy. And then you now put him in that switch. Like, come on. He was barely getting service. Like, we, he, he was barely seeing the ball to score. So, I mean, yeah, it's on, it's on everybody that was involved. Because I felt like he was trying to come and redeem his name in the Premier League. Because, you know, now he's finally showed that okay he might be one of the best strikers in the world and he's like you know what let me go back to that boyhood clone of mine that you know initially said i wasn't good enough let me go and show them that they made a mistake and i like that mentality but come on bro 
make do what's best for your career. Look at what has happened to him now. He's going back to Inter Milan after a flop of the season in Chelsea where he wasn't even playing. And that thing that he did with the media, come on, that's just disrespectful. It's just disrespectful. I don't like Chelsea, but that's just disrespectful. And I don't blame them for benching him. And people, I know a lot of people that are saying, oh, why is he leaving? He's throwing in the towel. Why does he want to, why does he want to apologize and fight for his place? Because he knows at the back of his mind that his place is not at Chelsea. He knows. He's not going to flourish at Chelsea. That is not the kind of football that Big Rom was meant to play. God. And it's sad now because he's going back to Inter Milan that already has Edin Dzeko. Like when they sold Lukaku for that big money, they went and got the next best thing, probably even a better option because Dzeko is technically better than Lukaku. Pro- probably better in the air than Lukaku. Dzeko is one of the best strikers in the air in the world, like best headers of the world. He's, a, he's an out-and-out target man. So yeah, they went and got Edin Dzeko. So Lukaku going back there is going to go and fight because they're not going to play Big Rom and Dzeko together. I highly doubt that. I don't think so. So, you know, now we're going back to an Inter Milan that is maybe not as familiar as he left it, but it's still a better style of football than what he's playing at, what's it called, um, Chelsea, what they are playing at Chelsea. I just feel bad for both parties because they spent so much money on him and now it's, they can't even afford to sell him. And like now, Inter is paying to loan him and they are still, like Chelsea is still paying part of his wages, I think, which is just wild, it's just wild. I feel bad for all parties involved, man. I, I really, really feel bad for all the parties involved, honestly. You know, but, you know, it's, it's sad for Chelsea. <laughs> Psych. But anyways, yeah, moving on to a team like... I want to talk about my team last because you know my team is just going to make me rant. But moving on to Arsenal. Um, they've made some moves for Pablo Vieira. Um, who else have they got? Can't remember. I, I know they are, I know they are chasing Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> I think it's going to be good for them. I, I really think it's going to play well for them. And then you know that link with Ateta and just the kind of football that they play suits Jesus's type of football. And Jesus is kind of like he's you can play him at as a nine, as a an eleven, as a seven. He's just interchangeable. So I, I like I like that for Arsenal. If they can get it done, very good for them. I also hear that they are chasing Rafinha from Leeds, which I think this is where I think, oh, I have a problem. Because, um, <laughs> oh, Lord of God. So, you already have, they have budding talent in quotes. I mean, not in quotes, Saka is a budding talent. A budding talent, rather. And I don't, I'm not going to call him Saka, because his name is Bukayo Saka. Saka is a budding talent. And um, Martinelli is a budding talent as well. I don't really see it, but no, let me rephrase. I'm not his biggest fan, but at least now I see the talent. Smith-Rowe, I think he's just, eh, eh, you know. And they also have Odegaard. But this is my question. So, they play 4-3-3. And um, they play, you know, striker at the front, Saka on the, le- on the right, on the left, but right, and then maybe Martinelli on the left, Emil Smith-Rowe on the left, even though Smith-Rowe thinks he's a 10. Nobody plays that 10 position anymore, bro. Anymore, bro. So, yeah, ask Ozil. He knows. <laughs> so, you know, and then Odegaard is playing in that midfield, connecting the mid, drop it like the back line to the front line and all of that. And then they want to get Rafinha. So where are they going to chuck Rafinha in? Because um, they also got Pablo Vieira that plays Odegaard's spots in that three-pronged midfield. Meaning, so Vieira and uh, what's his name? Odegaard are going to be fighting for a spot. It also means that, I mean, already as it is, Smith-Rowe and um, Martinelli are fighting for that left-wing spot. 
So are you getting Rafinha for that? And I mean, Leeds are saying they want like 50, 60 million pounds or dollars. I can't remember what currency, but still a lot of money. Are you saying you want to spend that amount of money to put him on the bench? Because I know you're not going to, I know you're not benching Saka. I know that for a fact. And I get that you want to get competition, but one of them is going to be on the bench and whoever is on the bench is not worth it, especially if it's Rafinha. So why spend so much money for someone that is going to see on the bench? just doesn't make any sense to me honestly and uh, it really doesn't i don't get that one i really don't get that one i don't get that one go like go and get a midfielder like i party is good but he's also very injury prone go and get a midfielder to backup parties like one guy is not it sambi that's not it's not a backup it's not the backup to, <laughs> that's not even my concern anymore you know also get a right back when tomiyasu injures cedric is not it as well Okay, all right, but anyways, yeah, and um, moving on to my beloved team, the Manchester of the United, the United of the Manchester, the one and only Red Devil, Red Devil, eh? they call him the Red Devil, <laughs> my team, our biggest move this transfer window has been to get a new coach, that's our, that's our biggest move this transfer window. And uh, as usual, my my team again. The only thing that we are good at doing is uh, being linked to players. Bruno Fernandes, probably our most uh, our most exciting signing of the past five, six, seven years. Do you know how many years we're linked to Bruno Fernandes? We're linked to Bruno for like three seasons, three years, three whole years that we used to link Bruno Fernandes before we finally bought him. Okay, we're well, back on that spree again because one thing everybody like one thing that is for sure is that that team needs a complete overhaul. And then this is it. We know that money is not money is not abundant. And we know the team needs an, like a complete overhaul. I know people are saying, oh, we should get um let me even start from the back. We need a new defense. We need a new defense. The only defender I rate in that defense is Varan. Just Varan. That's Mag Maguire, Maguire, Ma, Maggie, whatever they call that Maggie Cube is not it. I don't I don't rate that guy for the world. So yes, we need a new defense. It's clear that Wambisaka is not going to play, even though we spent 50 million or like 35 million or so on Wambisaka, but it's clear that he's not going to play and we all know why. Look sure. Uh, Alex Telesh is good going forward, but defensively, uh, and the kind of football that Ten Hag plays, he likes his fullbacks to be able to sit in front of the defense and allow those people on top push forward. So, Telesh is not it. <laughs> okay, oh, I keep on going. See that midfield, Matic was our, in my opinion, Matic was our best holding midfielder. Matic's days, his best days were five years ago. So you see uh, McTominay and Fred, those two boys, I don't see, I mean Fred actually, to, to be honest with, and be fair about Fred, last season, towards the end of like halfway through the season, Fred changed, he switched it up and he was playing decent football. So I can manage Fred, but see that McTominay boy, if you are not sending him to go and play defense, where all he has to do is pass the ball to somebody in front of him, if you are not sending him to go and do that, Please don't play McTominay again for Man United. I'm not interested because I don't see what that. Even when he plays for Scotland, they play. He played three defenders. McTominay plays in the defense. So, please, that boy is not a midfielder. He has no. He literally has no vision. He cannot make a forward pass to save his family's life. That is how bad he is. Anyways, I digress. 
and then we also need somebody to play the wing we need you know a backup striker for what's his name um Cyrano, like ronaldo and then um all i've been hearing is frankie 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 like frankie is going to solve the entire team's problems no no and no see now that <laughs> now timber that we were chasing before they've bumped up his price frankie that we've been chasing for how many months now baka are saying they don't want to collect less than like 90 million imagine the madness they want to use us to cash out because his man you are used to paying exorbitant amount of money for rubbish we spent how much on copper that we let go for free then we spent so much money to bring him back he never had a good season with us and then we let him go for free how much did we get let me not even digress and start ranting but my point is this i don't understand why we are still chasing frankie de young when it's clear that we're not going to get him for cheap why spend so much money on one player when we know that frankie is not the solution to our problems he is not the solution to our problems and see this is the thing people are pushing for us to get a winger and i understand but see me personally i'm not ready to give up on rashford i really am not rashford was our only shining star in years of bleakness so one bad season is terrible or one terrible season is bad but it's not bad enough for me to give up on rashford i mean rashford is still our boy we know rashford he can play a lot better than he did last season so i would still give rashford that spot on the left wing then put sancho on the right because i don't understand my you we were clamoring for years for a right winger for years we were clamoring for a right winger and then we went and we oh mind you we were linked to santo for like four years for like three four years before we finally bought him we, we finally got one of the at that time though for dortmund he was one of the best right wingers in the world at that time when he came to Mayu, you know Mayu kind of had the effect but at dortmund world class sancho was world class and then we got sancho and what did we do we turned sancho to a left winger it's like people just have this knack for me putting people like making people inside forwards i get that sancho is a good like he's, he can dribble the ball he can make a pass he can shoot which is everything that you need in an inside forward but there is a reason why sancho plays on the right there is a reason why he was success, successful on the right. That season that he had, like two, this, two seasons before he came to Mayu, where he had like goals and assists, tally that was beautiful in like top European leagues. Didn't he do it from the right? What is wrong with these people? What is wrong? Why would we turn our best right winger to a left winger and then we're putting inexperienced Elanga to play our right wing? No. And, you know, I also want to just slightly touch on that Mason Greenwood issue. It's sad. It really is sad what has happened to Mason Greenwood. And it is also sad what happened to that lady that he beat, that he allegedly beat up and was abusing. And I just hope that justice, you know, is served. And I, I know it's going to be served. It's not Nigeria. But if he did the, you know, if he did the crime, then he definitely should do the time. And if it comes out that he actually did the crime, then pretty much his football career is over. Which is sad because he had so much talent for him to mess it up that way anyways back to the point so yeah why are we doing that let's come back to that midfield so <laughs> frankie is not the solution to our problems we need defenders as well we need defenders that can move the ball forward like can advance the ball look at ten hags ajax look at how david blind can adv- david blind can make can hit the pass hole. 
And you know what's funny? We had the Nibling for like three, four years in manual, and we never used him right. When even when we were playing the Nibling as a center back, self, we never still used him right. Like I hated the Nibling so much. As a left back, he was slow. He was so slow. He did not pose much of an attacking threat when he was going forward. His defense was very, uh, as a defensive midfielder, uh, as a center back, uh, and then, you know, I was so happy when we sold him because we bought for like 34 million and then he went to Ajax and all of a sudden turned to a good defender, at least going forward and passing the ball. So, just, I don't understand what my is doing, man. To be honest, I do not have a clue. But, if we get Frankie, would I be happy? Or Frankie, not Frankie, would I be happy? Yes, I would. Do I think it's a lot of money? Yes, it is. Do I think that money can be invested in other parts of the squad? Definitely. Do I think Mayu is going to compete for anything next season? Definitely not. Uh, do I think Mayu is good enough to compete next season or even two seasons after? No. Do I think Ten Hag is the solution to our problems? Maybe with a good squad. Do I think this squad is a good squad? Definitely not. So you see the conundrums that we live in as a Manchester United fan. It's just sad. Yeah? They are very, very sad. It's just sad. Honestly, it's just sad. But anyways, um, my time is up and uh, it's been a blast talking to you guys again. And um, as usual, you know, thanks for listening. Thanks for staying here this long. You know, um, yeah. See you next time. It's been Monkey Post with me, Sheyi. And uh, share, give me feedback as always. I enjoyed feedback I always get. Bless and love everybody that has listened to my podcast so far and has shared my podcast so far. I love, 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 love you. And please keep on showing me support. Thank you and bye.